lots of more traditional companies have to go through what's what they call a digital transformation, which is basically putting in place some of the things that Casper was born with or that developed within its first year and then through this tremendous period of establishing itself in the commercial world. I'm Megan, and you're listening to a Better Product original series. We're talking to Ben Clark, CTO of Casper Sleep. Yes, you heard that correctly. He's the chief technology officer of a mattress company. Who knew that could be a thing? And his role has a lot of different responsibilities. My predecessor, who was the founding CTO, Gabe Flatman, who was the original CTO of the company. So I think Gabe's role in the beginning was to build, create the tech stack and presence for just selling mattresses on the internet in a way that would really connect with people. Casper's one of these companies that has both products that it makes and then sells. And then it has what we use the word digital product for the website and, and the mobile app and the other things that we put in the hands of our customers as, as tech. What do you need to stand up a terrific website that has beautiful design that really sets the mood of the way in which you connect with your customers and clearly says the, the message about what you have to offer and then provides them with an easy way to buy it. And Casper was famous for this innovative like 100-night trial, all these sort of business innovations that per se don't have anything to do with tech. There's no stores, so you got to find it on the internet. If you have to find it on the internet, you have to, and you want to try to stand out in this, this crazy world, you got to do some innovative technical things to do that. As a senior tech leader of a mattress company, it can be difficult to stay ahead of all the trends impacting the industry. For Ben, the key to staying fresh is pretty simple. Stay curious and examine your failure. When something goes wrong is when you learn how things work and where the weak points are, and then that starts the search for better solutions. And then if you do have natural curiosity, you can uh, put it in the service of problem solving and moving things forward. And and advancing either the platform or the product or whatever. So I think just the chaos of life and our response to it as techies is enough to keep me as, as, as fresh as I can keep myself. Ideas can come from everywhere, but true innovation involves cross-functional collaboration and open conversations. Let's get into the interview to hear some of the innovation the Casper team has been working on. Today, I'm joined by Ben Clark, the Chief Technology Officer at Casper. And prior to his time at Casper, Ben served as the Chief Architect at Wayfair. So before we get into Casper, I think we should maybe talk a little bit about what you did at Wayfair. Maybe just describe a little bit what Wayfair is and what you did there and how that sort of parlayed into what you do at, at Casper today. Wayfair, a zillion things home, as they say, is an awesome tech platform and store where it sells home goods of all kinds. When I joined it, it was a little over $500 million in revenue and 1,100 people, and now it's I've lost track of how many billions in revenue Wayfair is making right now. I left two years ago. That was just a great ride. The company went public while I was there, and I was just lucky to be part of it. And then I Wayfair in 2019 to become the CTO of Casper Sleep, which made a huge splash in, in 2014 when it burst upon the scene as a direct-to-consumer bed-in-a-box innovator and has this went at it with now has a whole product line of things that help people sleep better. And I joined eight months or so before our IPO, which happened in February of, of 2020. And then a month later, the pandemic hit. So we've been through a, a wild ride. Casper is known for initially direct-to-consumer e-commerce, but since 2017, we've had 
retail stores and uh, retail partnerships with other companies, the wholesale business where Casper products are sold in other people's stores, both offline and online. So we've been doing all of that since 2017. So at this point, it's, it's an omni-channel company for sleep products, and that's a great place to be. So I guess I'll start. I think many of our listeners are, are familiar with Casper, but I, I want to say it in this way to just almost reflect on how crazy this is. So you are the CTO of a mattress company, which I don't know how old you are, but I'm, I'm guessing you are very well familiar with the strip malls of the past of the mattress warehouses and stuff. So the idea that there's a CTO working for a mattress company, to me, there's just so much in that. So I'd love to really just start there. Like, What is your role as a CTO of ultimately what a mattress company is? And how does it play a part of this sort of direct-to-consumer trend that Casper's really spearheaded? I don't want this to sound like I thought up all this and did it because, of course, it was my predecessor who was the founding CTO, Gabe Flatman, who was the original CTO of the company. So I think Gabe's role in the beginning was to build, create the tech stack and presence for just selling mattresses on the internet in a way that would really connect with people. Casper's one of these companies that has both products that it makes and then sells. And then it has what we use the word digital product for the website and, and the mobile app and the other things that we put in the hands of our customers as, as tech. What do you need to stand up a terrific website that has beautiful design that really sets the mood of the way in which you connect with your customers and clearly says the, the message about what you have to offer and then provides them with an easy way to buy it. And Casper was famous for this innovative, like, 100-night trial, all these sort of business innovations that per se don't have anything to do with tech. There's no stores, so you got to find it on the internet. If you have to find it on the internet, you have to, and you want to try to stand out in this, this crazy world, you got to do some innovative technical things to do that. And then since then, we've having to then start up these other channels, then you get to scale as an e-commerce business, and then you start doing these other things. Then you've got two little startups within your already pretty well-established company that are in their infancy again. So that 2017 was when retail and retail partnerships started up. So there's a certain amount of tech in Casper, both in the actual products and the digital product, of course, needs it. And then there's the back end. We have supply chain tech, logistics tech, all these other things, which are part of my job as well. But I think in this conversation, we're going to pretty much stay focused on the stuff that's front and center for, for our customers. That's a lot with the common thread being tech, which ultimately is a, a very broad scoping term. So it's got to be you know, challenging to manage all that. So even ignoring the supply chain internal side of what Casper has, looking at it as a consumer, I can see you've got the tech on the, the buying side, whatever is in the process of me going to Casper.com and buying a mattress or buying the glow light. Then you have the app, the Glow mobile app that goes along. Those two are very different ends. And I'm just going to guess that the process, the development process, obviously the frameworks are different, all of that, but even the ends are different. One is to get you to buy something. The other, the mobile app is really just augmenting your experience or relationship with Casper. So I'd love to learn a little bit about how you manage that from the product standpoint to, at least from my perspective, very different types of digital products. Yeah, that, that's a great question. It's definitely, my job is definitely requires a certain amount of context switching in the course of a day for sure. And it's one of the things I love about it. I love the fact that you rise up through the ranks in tech and there's a fine day when all of a sudden you have some people reporting to you who are experts in things that you don't actually know how to do yourself. Then you realize that you're probably going to be pretty bad at being a 
general manager of that kind of thing because you got nothing to offer these people <laughs> other than support and air cover and all the things that people need to offer the people in their group. I have to ask you about that again. You've been in the the technical field for a while. And what you're you're doing, I was actually talking to somebody before this uh, offline about my job was UX designer. And we talk about what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, you shouldn't ask people that anymore because what they want to do may not even exist today. My job certainly didn't. I'm sure yours didn't. But even in your career, when your career started, the idea of D2C and even this augmented mattress selling didn't exist, but you've managed to stay ahead of that curve. So for your senior role uh, in the company, how do you stay ahead of that? How are you constantly staying attuned to the shift in the market, the different things that are available, knowing that you didn't have that to start your career, but you've somehow kept ahead of it? I'll say the sort of obvious thing that if you remain curious throughout your life, that's a big advantage because there's just you know, there's so many new developments all the time. You got to be able to filter out the noise and zero in on the things that are really going to affect you. I, I get that question a, a decent amount from a lot of different people. How do you stay fresh? When did you go hands off the keyboard and how's that treating you? And do you still know what's going on if it's a challenge of a certain kind? And I think actually my answer to postmortems are actually the way that the, the thing that helps me the most. When I, and, and we have, I don't want to sound like there's a whole bunch of disasters going on in CAS, but we have postmortems for, you know, very minor things. But when something goes wrong is when you learn how things work and where the weak points are. And then that starts the search for better solutions. And then if you do have natural curiosity, you can uh, put it in the service of problem solving and moving things forward and, and advancing either the platform or the product or whatever. So I think just the chaos of life and our response to it as techies is enough to keep me as, as, as fresh as I can keep myself. Yeah, postmortems are, you know, for those who aren't aware, the agile methodology of just having postmortems does not mean everything's going wrong at Casper. Clearly, a lot of things are going right. I mean, the company continues to evolve and grow in the product line. But what I want to understand, what's the responsibility of the product team in the sales and the revenue success of Casper versus we built this the way that it should be built. We're not really responsible for how it sells. How do you manage that side of the business health with the, the product side? I would give you pretty much the same answer now as I would have given you a wafer. This is completely common to our two companies in spite of the fact that they're such different, their mission in life is just very different. But the digital product team at Casper, the product team at Wayfair, they're essential partners for, for tech proper. It's funny when the, when the business talks to us, they refer to tech and they mean the digital product team plus tech, plus the designers plus tech. It's all one big group that, that works together and speaks to them as one about what we're doing. And then there's also an analytics component. How do you figure out what's going wrong? You have to instrument your, your website to, or your mobile application or whatever you're doing to, to a high degree tools that make that much, much easier than it it used to be if you just sit around and wait for customers to complain, you're not going to be able to really see what's going on because the people get so angry that they're calling you up and complaining that hopefully that's a relatively small percentage, but that doesn't mean people aren't experiencing either problems or more likely just suboptimal pathing through the site. You're just constantly looking at what are people clicking on? Is somebody, are there signs in the data that tell you that Somebody's having a frustrating experience. Website is not responding. You, you have to have a, a, a harness there that will detect those things and that can send you alerts. And then you have to 
quickly triage, is this a minor problem, be relatively measured in my response to, or is this a big problem? So we do that, we triage it, we jump on it, we respond, and then we have a conversation about what brought us to that point. And that, that really does allow us to probe deeply into how well things are working, whether there's anything that's just not working for our customers. One of the unique aspects of what your company does versus all the other companies we've had on this this podcast, that you do have physical products. You have the digital products side of what you do. Tell us a little bit about how Casper structured. How does your team interact with the physical product side? Do you collaborate? What does that look like at a company of Casper? I don't know generally, but uh, I can tell you how it's structured here. So the product team is, they obviously take this kind of long view of things. They have to you know, have these ideas and think about it and make prototypes and go through the whole product lifecycle, which is much longer than the life cycle of just tech projects that we do changing the software. But we're in touch with them for several reasons. As they start to think about a mattress and want to try to put it out into a retail partnership, they're starting to talk to people out in the world about it. And so we have to start to put together the kind of information about it in our ERP, the you know, backend system, the product information system. When you're working with wholesales, you have to talk about these products before, and there's tech support for all of that. So we get involved there. If it happens to be a piece of consumer electronics, then obviously we're very involved, right? That's a joint effort between the product team proper and the tech team, including digital product side of the overall tech team. So that's two sets of people that roll up to different organizations, but they have formed a joint team across a matrix within the organization, as the corporate people would say, but they just work together as one team. And that's produced this one piece of consumer electronics, the glow light that, that we just are, are so excited about. Let's talk about the glow light because I'm familiar with it. I was so close to getting one for my wife for Christmas. I don't remember why I didn't, but I think it is. And I don't know if she's listening to this episode or not, but I probably will get one. So that's a, such a shift in some ways and not a shift in another. You keep saying consumer electronics, which is like a third thing that Casper's doing. You have these physical products that you can buy online and e-com, and then you've got the sort of digital experience that, that, that handles that. Then you've now spun up a consumer electronics, which is also another type of product. But on the other hand, it, it makes so much sense because Casper's always been really good in the brand in terms of letting you know it's about sleep, not about the mattress. And if you level up from the sleep, it makes complete sense that you have this glow lights that's all about getting better sleep and things like that. That all makes sense. But I would love to know what your role is. How do you build a product and a digital experience that goes with it while also staying out of the way? It's just this kind of elegant simplicity. The product design people of Casper held as a high value. There, there can be very complicated and slick technology going on behind the scenes, but put yourself in the user's shoes. It's not a feature that they have to pick up their phone to operate this. Be better if they could just think it or whatever. They, in this case, what they've achieved is you can just use your hands to you go into the app, you tweak the settings so that it's exactly right. But then when you're really just trying to go to bed, What's so cool about it is there's all kinds of reasons people have trouble getting to sleep. A huge percentage of people in the world, Americans in particular, along with everybody else, have sleep problems of one kind or another. They have all kinds of different causes. Some of the people have sleep problems. They want to maybe read before they go to bed and they need some light for that. But then the process of getting up to turn off the light then interrupts the process of getting to sleep. So if the light just goes off on its own, that 
helps, helps some people, the people who fit this description. And so the getting the tech, which is the picking up your phone and punching in things in an app is more of a direct interaction with more in-your-face technology. And that's fine when you need it, but we didn't need it. Make it essential. Make this easy path to just use the, interact with the thing in the way that's most natural and that really helps you get off to sleep. This is not relevant to this podcast, but you've just sold me on this because that is like my <laughs> biggest issue at night. The light is on the opposite side and I want to read. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to. I'm off my devices, but there's that one element of like, how do I turn off my light? <laughs> so you've, you've got me there. Let me describe the other features of it. The, if you need to get up in the middle of the night, you can just pick it up and shake it a little and it turns on, but not full blast, not like you would at the beginning, just turns on just enough to be a mobile nightlight for you. If you need to walk somewhere else in your house and do something and come back, but without getting that, you know how if you go to the kitchen and you turn on the full lights and it you know, gets in your eyes and then you're just like wired and awake and you can't get back to sleep, not with the glow light. You can use it as a mobile nightlight. So I'm going to ask you just a, a stupid question because I want to hear your thoughts on it. But why did you create a mobile app for the glow light at all? It does need a little bit. It is, I think, an advantage to have a little bit of control. You have to have some kind of control for, is it 45 minutes or is it something else? You can set it to, I think you can set it to wake you up in the morning. So if we hadn't done a mobile app via Bluetooth to the device, which it does, right, then we would have had to make what is in the sort of lingo of the biz is called a truly connected product, which means that you could log into casper.com slash glow lights or something like that. The way you can log into ring.com if you've got those kind of smart home things. The glow light doesn't work that way because again, because it doesn't need to. Like why would we have needed to build all that apparatus? And we felt like it was just a minimalistic control via the smartphones, which most people have, of the to be able to set the timer properties or the settings in various ways was the right way to go. Why not just put it on the light itself, like having controls on one side of the light? Having a, you use some real estate there, right? From my point of view of just appreciating the way it's made, I have to say, if you did that and allowed all the different settings tweaks that you can actually do with the mobile app, there'd have to be a lot of buttons on it or some kind of big base. It's a very low profile, slim little thing. And having that perfectly symmetrical thing with no buttons on it to fiddle with or anything like that is part of the design that I really appreciate. And But then you do have to control it. So where do you do that? The mobile app, that's where that comes in. That was like the big direction I was heading with that line of questioning, which is what I've observed as a designer myself and having worked with software engineers for the better part of my career. The shift in my mind has been where engineering is at the forefront of the products that you buy, the old alarm clocks from the 70s and 80s, where you've got dials all over the place. And then engineering-driven software that's very feature-rich buttons and settings everywhere. But this new wave that Casper's part of as well is where it seems like with design-led elegance you've mentioned and just simplicity, it seems like tech's role development engineering is really meant to make sure that simplicity can be maintained, where it's almost like getting out of the way. So it just seems like that's the role of technology today. But I want to hear your reaction and see how technology in development and engineering's role and as it ties to, to product design, both physical and digital. In general, that is something that the design and true product side, as opposed to digital product, take the lead on in ideation, at least in our company. And I think in a lot of companies, it's the same. And as with a lot of things in that 
essential partnership between the product or digital product team and the tech team, however you're organized. You just have to, you have to have a dialogue. That's the kind of thing they tend to, the other side takes the lead on, but we're right there with them thinking about, yeah, we got to get this done. What's the right place to do it? They'll start with a point of view. We are part of that discussion and then start prototyping, bring it all together. We haven't really mentioned the word innovation, but I'm going to bring it up here. When it comes to product innovation, how does innovation happen at Casper? Does a design lead with a vision and say, hey, we want to do this and help me figure it out? Or is there a collaboration between the engineers on all parts with the design side? The ideas can come from in, the, in these, Casper's not a startup anymore because we went public, but we still have that startup mentality. And we're democratic that way. Ideas from come from anywhere. Where that tends to have, it is more frequent that the product team and the digital product team in collaboration with their commercial side business stakeholder people are doing are doing ideation and then bouncing ideas off them about product market fit. We don't need to be in every conversation like that. But on the other hand, there's a lot of super creative people in among the engineers. They Because they're not necessarily in all those conversations, they just get pulled in. So we have other outlets for people's sort of creativity and other channels for them to come in. So we, we have hackathons once in a while. And then the judges are not techies. And, and then we get some, sometimes we do stuff there that that turns <laughs> into a digital product or something else that works. So I might have to hear whatever you can share. How does a hackathon work at a company focused around sleep? Because I've been in hackathons. And uh, no sleep happened. So I, I got to yeah. hear how, the, how <laughs> well, this goes down. Don't do that. At Wayfair a couple of times, we had those kind of overnight like pizza party hackathons. We, do, we did that for sure. But at Casper, we do not do it that way. It is during waking hours kind of thing. Because if we were to do that, we would be violating something like our prime directive as a company. So yeah, we have a hackathon. We've had one since the pandemic, right? So we all had to start working from home uh, a while ago. We're going to come back to the office with some people who are working remotely in a few months, we, when we were all in the office together all the time, like we used to be, we would have people sitting around together hacking like you do at hackathons. During the pandemic time, it's been everybody, they form groups like you do in hackathons. They have ideas, they make a prototype, they get it working, and then you have a sort of show and tell judging kind of uh, session and give some prizes and have, and then we use it, we use an app called Pizza Time usually for uh, to make sure that everybody, quite traditional hackathons have pizza for everybody. We've adjusted to the pandemic and we'll, we'll continue to evolve as we go back to a more mixed, you know, in office and not environment. So the, looking forward, you know, I'd love to hear what you're most excited about, what you're allowed to talk about, but what, as we come out of the pandemic, as we're looking ahead, you've been at Casper for some time now, what are you most excited about over the next, maybe the next year? That's a great question. Let me just answer on the basis of something that kind of really weighed on me for a while there and is now feeling really positive and different. When the pandemic hit, we had to shut down our more than 60 retail stores like everybody else in the world last March. And that's just that's just a crushing blow to a company that affects people. And we lived through that like everybody else, but we've come out of it now. So to me, the that was, think about it, Casper's been around since it was formed in 2013, but that retail is a four-year-old startup within Casper. And three years in, you shut the whole thing down. And then you have to restart it again. And I'm very proud of what the, of just the stores and the, the experience that you have as a customer going into them. And for my own department, the tech that we put together to make a, a modern retail store run with a good experience, you got to have a 
that sort of combination of software and hardware. And there's a, there's a kind of elegant simplicity to all of that. And to have that all just like frozen in amber and crushed for a while was just hard to take as a leader in an organization like that. But now to see that all coming back and it's now, you know, reemerging and stronger than ever. And so it's, it's just really nice to see. I'm really, I'm happy for all of them and I'm, I'm really excited about it. I would love to end on that, but I have one follow-up question that's striking me as you're talking, which is, when I ask you what you're excited about, you are a CTO at a D2C, like first, online only, and the thing you're most excited about is retail, which is, <laughs> it's like backwards. So tell me, why is that the company's you know initial DNA was really about online only, yet you seem to be very excited and Casper is you know, very excited to get back to this retail experience. What does that mean to Casper to you and why are you excited about that? This one a person I know said, I was describing to him everything about Casper and he said, oh yeah, you're a, a sort of tech and marketing forward digital native company. Yes, that I wish I'd thought of that myself. That's right. So digital native, we started out DTC and e-commerce only, but now we've expanded into these other things, which are more the traditional side. Lots of more traditional companies have to go through what's what they call a digital transformation, which is basically putting in place some of the things that Casper was born with or that developed within its first year and then through this tremendous period of establishing itself in the commercial world. And now I'm very excited about continuing. That's a tremendous presence that we're continuing to add to and push forward. But I do have, even though I'm a you know, CTO of a public company at this point, I do have a soft spot in my heart for these more fledgling efforts, these things that are smaller. It's, it's, it retails a significant channel for us, but it's smaller than the other channels. It's just the thing that needs to continue to grow and be part of things. It, there's all this great opportunity to do handoff between e-commerce and retail at a really high level. Ben, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your perspective on Casper. It's been really fantastic and I really appreciate your insights and giving us your time. Yeah, great to be here with you and great conversation. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget the Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.